Today's reading is from 1 John 5, 1-5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, it's so good to actually be with you today. It's so awesome to see your faces. And coming to you live on FM 90.1, Can Be Bethany Radio, <laughs> and streaming everywhere at canbebethany.org. No, but. Uh, as I was sitting there singing with you and praising God together, ah, this beautiful picture that the church is not that. The church is this. The church is not the building behind me. It is the people of God gathered together. And how blessed is it is to gather together in the name of the Lord. Um, we're going to continue this morning in our series in 1 John. And I hope you've been blessed like I have by studying 1 John and seeing how John describes what it is like to be a Christian, what the body of Christ looks like, what, what it looks like to live a life transformed by faith. And we looked last week at the supreme ethic of love and how love is the characteristic of the believer in Jesus Christ, love that comes first from the Father. And so today we're going to look at this passage, and it, it's a beautiful passage, it's a deep passage, Paul and John, excuse me, summarizes in part what he has already been talking about. You may have noticed in 1 John that things are kind of repetitive. He comes around and around and hits the same things over and over. And we're going to see some of that here in this passage. But then he's going to put things together. He's going to unite things and the concepts that we've been talking about, I think, in a beautiful way. So let, let's look at the passage together and see that in the first two verses of chapter 5, he summarizes these tests, the tests, the signposts, these indicators of what the life of a believer looks like. The three tests that we have talked about, even going all the way back towards the beginning of 1 John, are the test of doctrine, of right belief, belief in Jesus Christ, the test of relations, the test of love, and then thirdly, the test of the moral test or the test of obedience. And so we see here that, that Paul John says, boy, I'm going to struggle with that. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There's the belief test, the doctrine test. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There's the love test, the relationship test. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, his commands. That's the morality test, the test of obedience. And so John is saying, remember, this is what it looks like. This is what the Christian life looks like. The Christian, the one who follows Jesus, believes 
that Jesus is the Christ, believes the truth about Jesus. John has already written his gospel and, and explained in great detail what Jesus did in his ministry and what he said about himself, the life and work of Jesus Christ. The test is to do you believe in him? Do you believe with your whole self in Jesus, the true Jesus that the Bible describes? And are you is your life characterized by love, by love for God, by love for other believers, by love for everyone? Does your life look like it's full of love? And then the moral test, are you righteous? Are you obeying the commands of God? And at, at, at glance, sometimes this is hard for us because in reading it, it almost looks like it's saying that there's there's some kind of works that we need to do to be saved. It kind of looks like the opposite of what we preach as the gospel, that there's nothing that I can do to be righteous before God. Some have interpreted this to say, like, these are the things you've got to do to prove that you're serious to God, and then he will save you. Are these passages, are these texts, are these tests anti-gospel? Is this about what we can do? Because the gospel is clear. We hang on the foundational truth of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace, we have been saved through faith and not of works, not of ourselves, so that we have nothing to boast in. There's nothing we can do to be saved on our own. It's grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. But, but the new life looks like something. In fact, John himself wrote in the gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and my believing you will have life in his name, have new life. See, the gospel is accomplished. We are saved only by the work of God, but we are saved to something, and the saved life looks like something. We have new life, and there is evidence of what the new life looks like. We have new birth. This commentator said it this way, Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us new people. And it is by new birth that he accomplishes this glorious work. Therefore, you must be born again. Have you experienced the new birth, the new life? See, when there is, when, when you become a parent, as we talk about on Father's Day, becoming a parent, there are signs of new life. The baby that is born has characteristics when it is alive. The heartbeat, the breath that goes in and out of the lungs, and the brain activity. I remember when my first child was born, when I became a father, and um, I didn't get this story cleared, but you were a baby. You didn't know what you were doing. So <laughs> my kids were born cesarean section. The doctor was four foot nothing who delivered my kids. He was standing on a stool, and my son was born feet first, and he pulled him up like this. His hands were over, the doctor's hands were over his head trying to yank him out. And I think what happened, the doctors didn't tell me this, but I think that my son 
took a breath before his head was out. Because I remember a moment when they took him away, and I think they put a tube down his throat and suctioned out his lungs. I remember waiting, waiting, it seemed like an eternity, for the signs of life, for the sounds of breath, to prove that my son was alive. See, when there is new birth, there are signs, there are characteristics, just like a baby that is born has a heartbeat and brain activity and breath coming in, of their, in and out of their lungs. A Christian who is born with new birth into Christ believes in Jesus the Christ, loves God and loves other people, and has examples of righteousness and moral living in their life. Those are the signs of the new life. It is not how we get the new life, but it is proof that there is new life. And it leads me to this question, don't I want to be changed? When I came to faith in Christ and through repentance and faith, I was made aware of my sin. I wanted to put that behind me. I wanted to put that to death because I saw that it was empty and meaningless and leading only to more death. Don't I want new life? And this is perhaps the largest miscalculation of the world's millions of nominal Christians and those who mislead them. These are the false teachers and the antichrists that John has been talking about, who suppose that being nice to other people and perhaps religious on occasions like Christmas and Easter in the general name of God and Jesus Christ is an adequate expression of faith. It's not. There is a complete and radical transformation in the life and heart of a new believer. There is a whole new life. How, how pitiful and weak to think that the gospel wouldn't transform us, that it wouldn't change us. The gospel is not just saving from the penalty of sin. Salvation is a big, big word in the Bible. Salvation, and I forget my Greek, it's been a long time since I looked really at the Greek, but I think the tense is a perfect tense, where it's past completed action with ongoing and future effects. That it's not just I was saved once, but I am being saved and I will be saved. I was saved at the moment that I believed from the penalty of sin in my life, and we call that justification. That Jesus, like we talked about last week, became the propitiation and absorbed the wrath of God himself. I was saved from the penalty of sin. And I am being saved from the power of sin in my life. We call that sanctification. That the longer that I walk with God, the more I press into Jesus, the more he gives me power to overcome the sin in my life. That I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I have the ability to make righteous choices. And I will someday be saved from the presence of sin completely. We call that glorification. That when we die and we go to be forever together with God, there will be no more sin. There will be no more sin. And oh, we yearn for the day when that is true. We call that glorification. I was saved from the penalty of sin, but I, it's still working in me. The gospel is still doing things in me. I am being saved from the power of sin and I will be saved from the presence of sin. And 
in 1 John, here in this passage, he uses this phrase, which I think is so incredible and so rich and so beautiful, when he says that those who love God keep his commands. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not a chore. Some translations say it is not grievous. It's no longer something that we hate to follow God's commands. And see, the way that it describes it, it is a change of the heart. It is a change of the affections. My affections are transformed. I no longer hate the law of God. I love the law of God. Let me give you an example in my life. I hate feet. Feet are disgusting. Uh, I have reasons for it. I'm not going to get into that. That's therapy. That, uh, I, but feet are gross. I sometimes say that in heaven our legs will just stop. But uh, I hate feet. And, and, and you know, I, I do a lot of crazy things at my job. And, and working with youth at Young Life, I, I get to jump in mud puddles and do wrestling with kids in cabins and all the kinds of things that go along with it and have to prep myself to not be repulsed if someone's foot touches me because that could be you know hard on the psyche of a young person <laughs> but <laughs> David knows uh, and and so I can will myself to not be repulsed so much by feet and and I can try to exposure therapy and make myself be around feet and I and I can do a lot of work to be less hateful of feet but I can never change my heart to love feet. I promise you. I can't change what I love. I can do work. I can will myself only so far. But I can't change the affections of my heart. And what John describes here in relation to the commandments of God is a change of heart. That I no longer hate the words of God. That it no longer only is to me death and, and proof that I don't measure up, but the commandments describe what God is like. That this is who God is. God is holy. And I love that. I love that. I want to know what God is like. I want desperately to be more like him, to be closer to him, to get more of him. My heart is transformed. So now I love the law. It's not begrudging submission. His commands are not burdensome. They're not grievous. It's not, okay, here we go. I work with teenager. I have a teenager. I was a teenager. Some of you know what teens are like. If you'd ask them to do something, ugh, okay, fine. Ugh, I'll do it. I did. I emptied the dishwasher. Ugh. This is not what we're talking about here. It's not begrudging submission. It's, God, I want to do what you say because I love you. I love your commands. Your law is good. I want to be as close as I can be to the center of you, to the center of the Christian life. Here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd said it. Am I trying to compromise with the life of the world? Am I living on the edge of the Christian life? Or do I want to get right into the center? And live the life of God and be perfect even as my Father in heaven is perfect. It's no longer a chore. I love God. And so when he says, don't lust, 
I say, yes, that's right, God, kill that in me. When he says that the only proper sexual intimacy is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, I say, yes, God, that's good. I believe that. I love your law. When he says, do not covet, don't want what someone else wants, but be content with what you have, because even the very breath in your lungs is a gift you didn't earn anything, I say, yes, God, that's right. That's good. I love your law. My heart is transformed. I want to obey. Look in the scripture, especially in the Psalms, at the way the psalmists describe the law of God. And even as we read in our call to worship this morning, Psalm 119 itself is filled with this kind of language. Let me read just a few verses to you. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Statutes are rules or laws. And I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delights. They are my counselors. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 70, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. And then 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. I love the law of God. And that is only, only by a work of the Holy Spirit. That I was once an enemy to God and hated the things of God, and he gave me new life. And I love now the law of God. And notice in this passage what happens. Notice the interconnection of all of these great big words of faith that we talk about so much in church. Let me read it to you again, and then we'll make some connections. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's faith. And there's an implied jumped connection from faith to love. That if you believe in Christ, then you love the Father. Because then he says this, anyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now there's a connection between love of the Father and love of others. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. They're interconnected. They don't exist without the other one. It's not that only that this leads to that, but you can't have one without the other. It's this beautiful circle that I love God when I love other people, and I know that I love other people by my love of God, and I can't love God if I don't love other people, and I know and I see loving other people by the way that I obey and love God. And then the next verse, it says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So now love and obedience are connected. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now we're connected to a changed heart and a new life. And everyone who has born of God overcomes the world. And now all these things are connected to victory, to a victorious Christian life. And this is the victory. What is the victory that has overcome the world? Back to faith, where it all started. And all of these things culminate in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All of these things are through Jesus Christ. 
ultimately through and for and by and to Jesus Christ. It's by only the power and work of Jesus Christ that any of this exists. So we've got faith and love and obedience and a new heart and a new mind and a new and, and, and desires that are changed and, and love of others. And now obedience is connected back to faith. They're all connected. That, that you can't have one without the other. That when the Bible talks about faith, when it says that faith and repentance are what we need to be saved, the faith is not just, I think I know something. It's not intellectual assent, but it's this deep and rich word that I put my trust in. It's life-transforming faith. It's all connected. And this is how we can reconcile these two kind of statements where Paul says that the law only shows my sinfulness, that, that there is no hope of ever keeping the law, that I can't possibly, possibly live up to the standards of the law. And then Moses in Deuteronomy 30 at the giving of the law says, these commandments are not too hard for you. What? It's not really hard? I mean, have you read that? It's hard. And then when Jesus like ups the ante and says that you've heard it said this, but I say if it happens in your heart, you're just as guilty. And then it's like, wow, every thought I've had could be a sin and probably was. And so how can it be that it's not too hard for us and yet we'll never live up to the standard? How can we reconcile these things? It's a completeness. It's a wholeness. It's a faith that transforms my life. It's a new birth. Thank God for such a life. As again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, thank God for its wholeness, its fullness, its completeness, its balance, its perfection of form. Thank God for this perfect thing that he gives us. As we examine ourselves, let us never forget the proof of life is that all the parts are always present and always present together. These are the signs of life. And again, they're interconnected. So just as we breathe in air to bring oxygen into our blood, which then the heart pumps around the body, including to the brain. And then the brain takes that oxygen and tells the heart and lungs to breathe and pump blood. They are all interconnected. You cannot have one without the other. So it is with the signs of our life. Faith is connected to love, is connected to obedience, is connected to a new heart, is connected to Faith, again, back all through Jesus Christ. Grace alone, you are saved. Yes, it's true. Through Christ alone, you are saved. Through his work and not of your own, absolutely yes and amen. You are given new life, but new life must look like this. There must be a category for obedience that is not meritorious, not something that I earned, and it's not perfection either because I still fall short completely. I still sin every day. In fact, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that's the first commandment. I've never done that. Never. And neither have you. And there's never been a single person, save one, who has ever done that ever at any moment of their life to love God completely with all of themselves. But, but the Bible talks about and describes this characteristic of this 
believer who is striving towards holiness, who is working towards righteousness, still failing, still weakness, and yet genuine and heartfelt and sincere and God-pleasing obedience. How can we look at the heroes of the Bible and not see this? How can David, the adulterer and the murderer, be called a man after God's own heart? Because there was repentance and faith and all these interconnected things. And, and, and as we've talked about in First John, that we look at a trajectory. We look at progress. Is my life the same as it was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? There is a movement of faith. There is new life in faith. And this is victory. This is what victory looks like. This is what overcoming the world looks like. This is what John says. Overcoming the world is faith in Christ. It is passing these tests. It is saying that, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I am growing in love for others, for, my, for God and others. Yes, I see a trajectory of increasing righteousness in my life. That is overcoming the world. That is victory over the Antichrists, over the false teachers, over the, over the devil, over my own heart. The victory is faith in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, again, look at verse 5, that it says, in Jesus Christ, how could it be anything but Jesus' victory? The victory is Christ. When we cling to Christ, when we run to Christ, when we are conformed to the image of Christ, it is all about Jesus. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Victory looks like this. And even, even when it looks like we're losing we're winning. If victory looks like this, as victory is described in this way, even if the culture wars that are going on don't look like they're going our way, we can have victory in Jesus Christ. Even when the movement of people, even when everything that we look like we're standing up and fighting for in the political arena or whatever the case may be, looks like we're losing every turn, we can have victory in Jesus Christ. If it looks like this, if, if it's faith in Jesus Christ, if it's these three things, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can have victory. We can overcome the world. Victory looks like this. This, this I, as I was thinking about this passage, as I was preparing this week, this a few days ago in the morning, I was feeling the weight of it a little bit, and I thought, you know, I need to ask myself those questions. I need to ask myself those three tests. And so I, I did. I spent a moment. I thought through, do I believe in Jesus? Am I, am, am, am I understanding and my knowledge of Jesus continuing to grow in my life? Yes, I, I think that's true. I think I'm, I'm, I'm more able to recognize false teachings about Jesus as I grow I think I believe in the mysteries of Jesus, like the fact that he was fully God and fully man, which I still don't understand, and yet I believe deeper and deeper. Yes, I think I'm passing that test. Do I, do I love people? Am I, am I growing in my love for others? A, a, am I seeking out? Am I asking God, search my heart and see if there's any way in me where I think I'm better than anyone else for any reason and kill that in me? Am I living increasingly for others? 
willing to set myself aside, put to death myself? Am I growing in love? Yeah, I think I am. I think, I think that I, I am moving forward in that area. A am I increasing in morality? Am I growing in righteousness? My wife and I had a conversation recently about conscience and how there's things that prick my conscience that didn't used to, that I used to be okay with, and now I look and think, ooh, how could I have, how could I have watched that movie, or how could I have been okay with that scenario? I, I think, yeah, I'm, that, that's an evidence of increasing in righteousness. And I say this not to say anything about me, because as we've talked about, it has nothing to do with me. The power to answer these questions, yes, has nothing to do with me. It's only by Jesus Christ, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I asked myself these questions, and the answer was yes. And there was unbelievable feeling of joy. Unbelievable feeling of assurance, saying, yes, God is at work in me. Yes, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit is present in my life. Yes. And that's what John says he wrote this book to be about. Not to be like, oh, here's again how you're falling short. Oh, you know, we're all going to have doubts. We're all going to have questions about these questions, about these tests. But he's writing saying, I want you to have assurance. I want you to have joy. I want you to be able to look at your life and say, wow, I'm not where I used to be. I don't have the same sin and death in me that I used to. Yes, there's still struggles. Yes, I still fall short every day. But God is at work in my life. There's evidence of new birth. Praise God. Hallelujah. John is writing so that we may have joy. And his commandments are not burdensome. Evidence, again, that it's not of me. Don't you want that? Don't you want new life? Isn't that, isn't that why you came to Jesus? Because you recognized that on your own there was only death. Press into Jesus. Seek out that sin in you and ask him to kill it in you. Strive for holiness. Live a life marked by repentance and faith. And these things are victory over the world. This is the victorious Christian life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for new birth. Thank you for the gospel which transforms us. Thank you for the faith that even the faith itself is a gift from you. God, we recognize that we fall completely short of your standards, that we have never been able to perfectly love you as you deserve. But God, even in that, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and offers us new life. May we as a people of Bethany Church be marked by the characteristics, the signs of new life. And continue to give us the power to overcome the world. And it's in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.